so this week we're continuing our series through Matthew. And for our student sheet this morning, we have our activity up top is a word search, which, can I just say, I am not the biggest fan of word searches. I know people love them. I'm terrible at them. I think it's my dyslexia. Like, I just, I, I can't do it. I, nope. But if you are good at word searches and enjoy them, there's a word search for you. So have fun with that. <laughs> um, the, t the at home activity this week is a really fun one. So if you have access to it, um, we're encouraging everyone to watch Ray of the Last Dragon with your family. And then we have some questions on here to kind of reflect on it because it fits very, very well in with what we're talking about this week. So that is the take home activity. And the memory verse this week is Matthew 5:42, which we'll talk about a little bit more in depth a little bit. But the, as far as the text of it go, it's give, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So every once in a while, I will maybe come back and ask people what the verse was from last week. So try to, try to get it. Who knows? I might, have some, I might have a prize or two if I periodically do it. So just keep it in your head. Keep it in your head. <laughs> All right. So like I said, we are going through the gospel about you. I guess I should talk about for the people who are just joining us, um, if the sound is a little weird, if you're watching on YouTube, on Facebook, or if you're listening to the podcast later, the, the AC went out, and so we have fans going. So if it sounds weird, because I'm not smart enough to figure out how to take the background sound out later, that's why there's fans going. <laughs> so we are going through the Gospel of Matthew. We are in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and we're in an interesting section. So Jesus has just given... We're in the middle of this long discussion Jesus has about how the law relates to righteousness. And so I want to give us just a quick recap of kind of what's happened up, up to this point so we can kind of follow forward. So remember, we started this, oh, I feel like it's been a month ago that we were back here. Jesus opened this conversation by, you know, reminding everyone that he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And then he goes on to say that your righteousness needs to be greater than the righteousness of the Pharisees if you're to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's kind of how he opened this discussion. And then he goes on to give a series of examples highlighting just what this righteousness is, highlighting how to have this kind of righteousness. And we looked at a number of those examples last week. Now, anyone, I'm not going to call on you two because you specifically told us not to, anyone who was here last week, do you remember what some of those examples were, what we said about them, anything? Anyone? Anyone? All right, I'll go. So <laughs> we looked at some, um, where Jesus takes a couple examples from, and we'll look at them uh, again, but takes a couple uh, laws from the Mosaic Code, from the Old Testament, and expands upon them. Expands upon them to sometimes a ridiculous point. But remember, we talked about that this was a legal argument. He's expanding it to the point of absurdity, so you can draw back in and draw the underlying meaning out. And we'll look at a little bit more of those this week. But the one for this week, I wanted to do by itself. I didn't lump it in with the ones from last week because I think it is one of maybe the most well-known ones and maybe one of the most misrepresented or misunderstood ones. So this week, we are going to read Matthew 5, starting in verse 38. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you that you must not oppose those who want to hurt you. If people slap you on your right cheek, you must turn your left cheek to them as well. When they wish to haul you to court to take your shirt, let them have your coat as well. 
When they force you to go one mile, go two with them. Give to those who ask, and do not refuse those who wish to borrow from, from you. All right, how many people have heard the eye for an eye, tooth for tooth expression before, right? Just about everyone has. It's a really, really common one. It has spawned a litany of cheesy bumper stickers, shirts, anything you know, an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind, things like that, right? We've all seen those. Now, to most of us, in hearing this, it, it sounds weird, right? It sounds wrong, and it even sounds a little barbaric, right? Like, it, 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 it hits us weird. It doesn't sound right to us. But think about the previous examples Jesus is using that came right before this. Don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't commit false pledges. Don't lie. And then this one. It seems weird that this one would be lumped in with those other ones, right? Because like, virtually no one's going to disagree that you shouldn't murder, shouldn't commit adultery, shouldn't lie. So why, why now this one? This seems to be out of line. Well, it is actually a law of Moses. And in fact, it is referenced three, I believe, separate times. So one of which is in Exodus 20, when talking about how to punish someone who has attacked a pregnant woman. If there is any further injury, then you will give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, bruise for bruise, and wound for wound. This one expanded upon it a lot, but you get the idea, right? Whatever one person does, the other person can do back. But to fully understand this, we have to go back a little bit further, because this is not original to the laws of Moses. We have to go back quite a bit further. So let's jump in the magic school bus and go back to ancient Mesopotamia. We're going to go back nearly 4,000 years to the reign of a Babylonian king named Hammurabi. Has anyone heard the name of Hammurabi before? Number of people, yeah, he's, he's, as far as Babylonian kings go, he's one of the more well-known ones today. Um, he is most famous for writing his law code, Hammurabi's law. Now, while it's not the oldest law code we have, it is maybe the best preserved, the most expansive, the most robust. It is the best example we have of ancient law codes. So let's kind of go through a little bit here. This is the law code itself. It's on a stone pillar, for lack of a better word. It's called a stele, big stone. These are carved on. Up at the top here, you have Hammurabi, let me get my pointer up. Where's my pointer? Ah, there it is. So we have Hammurabi here approaching the throne of the Akkadian or Babylonian sun god, Shamash. You can tell it's Shamash because of his sweet hat there. That hat is always associated with Shamash. And the idea is, we don't know what exactly this image is supposed to be depicting. Is it depicting Shamash giving Hammurabi the law? or is it Hammurabi presenting Shamash with a law that he's come up with? Whatever it is, it's to establish divine authority for Shamash in, in the eyes of the people. That's the top of the stele, and then the laws itself are written down the side here. And you can see they're written in Akkadian. There's a pointer. So you would read them down the, down the columns here. And as we'll see some example laws later, and it'll have like, this is from column you know, 24 row whatever down. So it'll, you can actually line things up on here. So this is the rough law code of Hammurabi. Now, embedded in this code is something called, if you want to use the fancy word, lex talionis, or the law of retaliation. 
Now, to kind of give you an idea for it, I'm gonna tell a little story about maybe why it's needed. So, the earliest memory I have of getting in trouble in school is all the way back in kindergarten. Did not take me long to get in trouble in school. Um, I was playing with my Legos, because I love Legos. Still love Legos, they're great. I don't, I, I don't remember what I was building, but I was building something. This classmate comes up, takes half the thing I built, and just walks away with it. Just took half my Legos, was gone. Oh. How, how old are you in kindergarten? Like five, six, something like that? Yeah, five, six-year-old Jesse was not happy. And so in my head, what sounded like a good idea, and honestly would probably still sound like a good idea today, but hopefully I wouldn't do it, is like, all right, if this kid wants some Legos, I'm gonna give him some Legos. I took the whole box of Legos, walked up behind him, dumped all of the Legos on their head. Like, there, now you have all the Legos. And I was super proud of myself, and I was like, yes, I've done it. So I went, I think I went and like read a book, or you know, was going through like a little critter book or something, you know, super pleased with myself, super happy. Well, this other student, they had the same idea. Oh, you got me, I need to retaliate against you. And I imagine the thought process in their head was very similar to mine. Oh, you like dumping stuff on people's heads. Okay, I can play that game. So I'm here, reading my book, and all of a sudden I feel glue coming all down my head. Now, at this point, the teacher realized what was going on, stopped, we both got in trouble. But you can kind of see the mindset, what's going on? Someone does something to you, you're like, nope, I have to do something worse to you. This person says, nope, nope, I have to do something worse to you back. So you get this level of escalation. This is where Lex Talionis comes in. Because what this principle states, this law of retaliation, is it puts limits on what you can do to someone who has wronged you. It very explicitly spells out what kind of retaliation, if you want to call it vengeance, whatever, can be done. And some of these can actually get really, really specific. So I'm gonna read a couple out of Hammurabi's Law Code so you can just see how specific sometimes they could get, these can get. So I will start reading in Law 229. If a builder constructs a house for a man, but does not make it of sound work, and the house he constructs collapses, and it causes the death of the householder, that builder shall be killed. The next law, 230. If it should cause the death of the son of the householder, they shall kill the son of the builder. 231. If they should cause the death of the slave of the householder, then he shall give the, the house owner a slave of comparable value. 232. If it should cause the loss of property, he shall replace anything that is lost. Moreover, because he did not make the house of sound construction and it collapses, he shall construct a new house out of his own expense. I'll do one more. 233. If a builder constructs a house for a man and it does not conform to the specifications so that causes a wall to buckle, then the builder shall make a new wall out of his own silver. So you kind of get an idea, right? And that was just like the three or four on like buildings. There is a litany of hyper-specific law codes in here. But you can kind of see the process, what, what is happening there, right? Specific actions are being assigned specific consequences. That's to prevent escalation. And that's the same thing that's going on in the Exodus passage about an eye for an eye, right? It's limiting what we can do to get revenge. 
And this might sound very weird to us today, but for the time, this was an extreme act of mercy. This was what mercy looked like at this time. This prevented someone, this prevented me from, you know, killing my neighbor because they accidentally broke my horse's leg. Because we, as humans, we naturally, we tend to escalate and take things to one, to, to one level, to the next level, to the next level. This is a, a law that was designed to prevent blood feuds. It was designed to prevent unnecessary loss of life. Sounds crazy overkill to us today, right? I mean, we, we kind of agree that, that sounds overkill. But it was, at its time, it was designed to prevent loss of life. It was designed to limit how you could take retaliation on someone else. So this is Jesus' starting point, saying that we shouldn't take vengeance into our own hands. Hence the eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, that thing. But then he takes it a step further. If someone, if some people slap you in your right cheek, you must turn your left cheek to them as well. When they wish to haul you to court, take your shirt, let them have your coat too. When they force you to go one mile, go two miles with them, give, those, give to those who ask and do not refuse to those who wish to borrow from you. Now, okay, let's walk through these examples kind of one by one here. This first one, Jesus is not telling us to metaphorically or literally become a punching bag. I have seen people and heard people who have accepted some horrendous things in their lives simply because they thought Jesus told them to always turn the other cheek. As we talked about last week, Jesus in these examples is pushing things to the extreme. He's creating and exaggerated situations for us to draw underlying conclusions from. Now, all three of these examples are getting at the same underlying conclusion, and that is changing the relational dynamic in, the, in each, each situation. So, first one, my favorite superhero is Captain America. In the MCU, he has, his, his catchphrase is, I can do this all day. He first utters this line back in his first movie when he's still skinny Steve Rogers, he stands up for someone in a movie theater, some bullies take him out back, beat him up, they're walking away, and he stands up and says, you know, I can do this all day. In this moment, he's changing the dynamic of the situation. By legal standards, by kind of rationale, he has the right, you know, you think he should be able to stand up and fight back. But he really doesn't. He just stands up and takes the punches again. This is literally turning the other cheek again but it shifts the dynamic. Before, he was just a victim being attacked by bullies. Now the dynamic is shifting a little bit. The, our view of the bullies is shifting a little bit. And, we'll, and as we go through the examples, you'll, it'll, it'll become clear what I mean. The second example, at the, at the time, right, oh, yep, I'm on the right slide even. The second example about being taken to court for your shirt and your coat. At the time, people would basically just wear that. You would have your kind of long tunic and a larger coat over it. That would be about what you would wear. So if someone sued you, took your under, undergarment, your shirt, if you were to give them your outer coat, your tunic as well, they are basically impoverishing you. They're taking everything. And you're forcing them to take everything in from you in front of everyone. How is that gonna make them look? 
how are they going to come off in that situation? And the courts, in front of everyone, if they impoverish you, they go overkill in their retaliation of you. And the last example, don't, don't need to switch slides, uh, comes from the idea of conscription. In the Roman world, um, soldiers had to carry their gear with them. The gear was heavy, they could be weighed down a lot. So there was a rule in place that a civilian, you know, any person, could be asked, could be conscripted to carry a Roman soldier's gear for one mile. The idea being that if a soldier was marching to battle, they could save some energy so that they wouldn't arrive at the battlefield completely exhausted because they've been carrying all of their gear, you know, however many miles it is. So the, this was something that was meant to be used in a limited capacity during times of war. But it was abused a whole lot. It was something that Roman soldiers would do just because they didn't want to carry their stuff. It was meant to be a small selection, a limited time of use, but it got blown out. It got taken advantage of. So, yeah, sorry, but the rules were very, very clear. It could only be for one mile. So if you volunteer to take stuff a second mile, this is putting the Roman soldier who asked you, who forced you to carry it one mile, in a weird situation. Because if their commanding officer notices, hey, that person's been with us for more than a mile. We're going on to our second mile. Why is that person still carrying your stuff? That soldier could get in real trouble. That soldier could lose wages. That soldier could risk punishment. So it shifts the dynamic. It shifts the relationship of, this, of, of, of these two people. So what is the underlying theme for all three of these? All three of these examples get at the idea of shifting judgment out of our hands. All three of these show us how to not only let go of retaliation, but our own desire for judgment. To not only not escalate things, but to not think that we're owed anything. To try to let go of the idea of vengeance. And then judgment can happen. And then justice can happen. This is Jesus telling the listeners to trust God and allow God to take care of you. Now, as with all the previous examples, Jesus is not saying that the law is bad. It's not. We need laws. We don't have some form of the law of retaliation, but we kind of do. We have the idea of laws of retaliation today, right? For certain crimes, there are certain set penalties for it. That's the same idea. That's, we need those in our world today. But we need that because we live in a broken world. We need that because we live in a kingdom of sin. And Jesus is reminding us that, reminding us that these rules, this law of retaliation, they're only band-aids. They're not meant for us to be our judgment forever, our law code to live by forever. That's Jesus. That's Jesus' righteousness. That's God's mercy. That's the law code we have forever. That's the law code that carries us forward. So, how is this, the law of retaliation, eye for an eye? 
How is this getting at the idea of moving beyond the righteousness of the Pharisees? How is this pushing past the righteousness of the legal experts? Well, it does so by allowing us to focus on God's righteousness. It wants us to not only let go of vengeance, but let go of our desire for vengeance. Because there's a big difference from, I want to punch that dude, to I'm just going to let it go, right? Like, we can all see those kind of different steps, right? There's, at the far end, it's actually punching him. Here it's, oh, I really want to. And it's, I don't have that desire to do it anymore. That's what Jesus is trying to get us, to push us to this side, to push us to the, all right, it's not my place to get judgment. It's not my place to give judgment here. That's what Jesus is getting at. Jesus is wanting us to get to the point to where we can let go of our desire for vengeance. To let go of our desire to think we're owed justice. We're owed something. And to put our faith in Jesus. And once again, this isn't saying become the proverbial punching bag in all times. That, that, that's not what Jesus is getting at. It's a reminder about faith. It's a reminder about putting our faith in a God who gave us a gift that we don't deserve. That if God followed the law of retaliation, if God made us account for every single sin, we, we'd be out of luck, right? We would be destined for an eternal life in hell. But God didn't do that. God showed us mercy. So we have that hope of eternal life. God shows mercy. So Jesus is reminding us that if we're to have that righteousness that succeeds the Pharisees, we should have that mercy as well. We're to emulate that mercy, the mercy of God. Join me as we pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity you've given us to come together. We just thank you that you are a God of mercy, a God of grace, and a God of justice. And we just ask that you would put that desire in our hearts, that you would soften our hearts, soften our hearts to not only not take vengeance, not want retaliation, but to just get at that base desire to slowly work on us so we don't even feel the need to retaliate, because we can rely on your mercy. So Lord, we just ask that as we go our separate ways from this place, Lord, that you would go with us as well, that you would bless us throughout this week, and that you would allow us to have an amazing time away, Lord. Bring us all safely back here in two weeks. In your precious name we pray. Amen.